0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Modern Retail Podcast. I'm Kale Guthrie-Weissman, the editor-in-chief here at Modern Retail. This week, I'm really excited. We have Neil Clifford. He's the CEO of Kurt Geiger, which is a UK-based fashion brand, I think probably best known for their shoes. They've also been in the midst of a really like big US expansion. Neil can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure US revenue has seen triple digit growth over the last three years, is what I've been told, which is Great to hear. We're in a really interesting time and space for apparel and fashion, especially for a brand like Kurt Geiger, which is high end but not necessarily like luxury. And so, like, I want to go into just all of this stuff. I have so many questions. But Neil, how are you doing?
1: I'm really good, Cal. It's lovely to um, lovely to meet you and lovely
0: to be here. It's lovely to have you here as well. So first, let's let's talk about you. You've been at Kurt Geiger for quite a while now, right? Oh,
1: I'm almost man and boy. I started <laughs> give the history let's hear it Well I've I've joined the Kagaga in 96 yeah so I've been here how long I don't even I'm embarrassed even to do the maths on that but <laughs> that's a few months I think yeah
0: Yeah that's at least you know like you know a, a trimester or something like yeah, that
1: Yeah 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 no exactly I I um I mean I'm a retailer man and boy I started uh I started working on the shop floor when I left school at sixteen so so yes, retail is in in my blood actually it was in my mother's blood so yeah i love I love stores, I love product, I love talking to people um it's wonderful you know when you leave school with no qualifications like I did um I'm dyslexic, which I've only discovered since my son has now been um worked out as dyslexic. So, uh, but it was wonderful to realise that you could get a job just by talking to people and selling things. So that's really where I where I started, and uh, I was lucky enough to end up at Kerr Geiger in '96 as the retail director, and I've been here oh, wow. ever since. Yeah.
0: Wow. Yeah. I can say that on the other other end of that coin, I'm not in the selling things, but as someone who likes talking to people, journalism is a great thing for that. Because all I do is uh, talk to people like you. It's wonderful. Um, <laughs> it's great. Yeah. It makes my job really fun. What has your trajectory been uh, for the last, I think, 27 years we're at? So retail director you started as? What was Kurt Geiger like in 1996?
1: Well, I'll give you a little a little quick version of the story. Kurt Geiger is 60 years old this year as a company. Kurt Geiger was uh, an amazing human being himself as a shoe designer, I worked for Bruno Marley, Charles Jordan, Ferragamo in the in the in the 60s. And in, in the end, ended up opening his first store on Bond Street 60 years ago. Um and this store, this store was a his own, his own brand, the Kurt Geiger brand, but he also had all, all his friends with him, Ferragamo and Bruno Marley, Jordan. So it was this wonderful mix of brands. And in fact, in many respects, um, we're still that, you know, we still operate the Harrods shoe business and the Selfridges shoe business. So we, we're a, the total company as a house of brands, be it that Kirk Geiger, the brand itself, has had a huge growth over the last 10 years. Yes, it's now the majority of the company's sales and uh, and
0: profitability and growth. So what made Kurt Geiger as a company decide to get out of the multi-branded retailer business and into the like, well, we're, not, when, we're making our products. We're
1: not out of it. We're still, we're still, or, yeah. we're, we're still well <laughs> in it. Yeah,
0: still, <laughs> yeah. You don't want to leave Harrods anytime soon. No, I no, no. We, we, <laughs> we, we, we love that. And we've had a long,
1: long, long relationship with our department store partners there. But I suppose the Kurt Geiger brand in 1999, I jumped back quite some time. I, I had this idea about the Kurt Geiger brand and stores and investment into, into that part of the business. As I say, I joined in 96, so there were seven people in the office, which was above the store on Bond Street. And the co- the company was um, about 30 million of sales and um, no profit, basically. And and now we're 250 people in head office with 2,000 people in the stores, we're well this year will be a record year for us north of 40 million ebitdas almost 500 million of um, us dollars in sales so the company's changed a lot it's fair to say i've been with my team obviously it's not not about me at all but we've been busy over the last 25 years but in 99, i created a concept called it, it sounds a bit cheesy now il sogno which is the dream in italian and i went to our then owners and said, "I want to. I want to. I need capital. I need investment. But I think we should we should reinvigorate this amazing brand of uh, of Kurt Geiger." And they gave me the approval to do that. So We opened our first stores in the UK in '99, uh, three all in one day in Manchester, Leeds, and London. And since then, we've um, you know had a, a huge success both in the UK but internationally, um, accumulating in the fact that five or six years ago, we really focused on North America. And I can take you through that story a little bit if that's if that's helpful.
0: Oh, yeah, I would love to hear about that. So wait, wait, one quick, just like backtrack. So when did you take the role as CEO?
1: 2003.
0: Okay, so that's a long time.
1: It's like one flow of the cuckoo's nest here. You're allowed to leave, but no one does. <laughs>
0: I mean, that's great. I think it's a, a sign of a good company when people are there forever. Um, actually, let's get into the U.S. strategy, and then hmm. I'll probably backtrack. I'm I'm going back and forth in time. No, about, that's, okay that's here. cool. Yeah, I'm happy. What was the initial idea with the U.S. expansion? And also with these, because I know that you have stores, you also have dist- distribution partnerships. For your stores, are they all just the brand, or do you also feature other brands in them? In the U.K. stores, you mean? Yeah.
1: Uh, no, they're just the Kirk Heinger brand. Got
0: it. Got it. So, yeah. was that what you were trying to do in the U.S. Yes. six years ago? Y-
1: yes. Well, uh, I'll start from the very beginning on that. We we always. I'm a big lover of North America, so we always talked about. Surely we would be successful there. It's a wonderful country. It's it's uh, the scale, the love of fashion, the love of handbags, the love of shoes. We knew we knew the business quite well because we operate. The, the luxury businesses, as we know, so we were always, always in the US, always there for Fashion Week, always studying what Saks were doing, what all the brands were doing on shoes and handbags. So we knew it quite well, but we didn't have an instruction manual, and I think we were a little scared. I suppose to to cut to the long story short, because it would be a, you know a huge venture. But then we were, we got lucky. We we met an amazing guy called Stephen Souza, who was operating. Um, running another very big American brand in the US. Um, and he moved to Europe to run the European operation. And we we managed, um, we bought a lot of shoes and accessories from him. I won't mention the brand, but it's there's two names. And the first one is Michael. <laughs> uh, and we convinced, we were lucky enough to convince Stephen to join us because we had all the ambition and creativity and, desire to to move in a big way to North America but we didn't have the confidence or skills or scars or knowledge experience to do it so my first my tip if I've got any tips at all if you if you want to grow and be successful in North America is give the job to an American and, uh, and it sounds a little naive and a little little n- 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 narrow but he, he had that experience, he had the trust, he had the relationships, he had the ability of how that business operates and what to do and what not to do. So that, that was the first decision, probably the one of the best decisions I ever made as CEO of the company. And then we commenced the strategy, the thinking, who are gonna be our partners? Um, how do we operate our wholesale business? How do we operate digital? And, and now jump forward, Five or six years the u s it's our number one market it's bigger than the it's bigger than the u k we'll be north of two hundred million u s dollars this year we're doubling in size each year. I think next year comfortably we'll be north of three hundred million dollars and that's before we've opened any stores so that's with our um, wonderful three department store partners of dillard's Nordstrom and Bloomingdale's. And a direct digital business, which today is forty million dollars, um, three times the size of our UK business on digital. So what we what we now have the confidence in is that our product, and we're seventy percent handbags actually. Um, Cal, we're, we're, we're majority. I was going
0: to. I heard you say that, and I was going to ask about that because yes. I think that that's people think of you as shoes, but no. in the US, handbags is your ten, ten, big thing. Yeah, ten years
1: ago, we were a shoe business. It's fair to say, and and we we you know it's been an overnight success and taken us ten years to get to, to get to that point. But yeah, we're seventy percent handbags in uh, in North America and about 55 percent Europe. So the majority of the company now, we sell more handbags and shoes. Actually, um, and and you know, we with jewelry and sunglasses and swimwear and um, many other categories. So we're a brand with quite a lot of elasticity. But more importantly, we're a joyful brand. We 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 say that we're a brand that that is, uh, operates successfully where the blue skies are in the world. And I mean, the British, we'd probably be in the world championship final with the Americans. I think we're very creative. We we're, we're never short of design ideas, product ideas. Everything is designed and created here. We've got 25 uh, members of a design team just on the Kurt Geiger brand. So we we're, we we like to think that our product is highly differentiated in terms of its design and price, and. It's it's manifested itself in in huge success quite quickly, a little quicker than we thought. To be very honest with you.
0: So, what do you think led to that? Uh, first, like you know, focusing mostly on wholesale and e-commerce. Well, th- that's you know, I think if you talk to a brand te- like before, that would be obviously the way to do it. But now you hear a lot of brands were expanding into. X country, we're going to open a store, but you didn't do that. Do you do you think that what made this work was choosing the right partners, knowing that Nordstrom and Dillard's, you you would have a certain cultural and brand cachet that people would would glom onto, or like what what was it that led to this this great success?
1: Well, I think I think uh, as with many things with success, there is sort of fifty percent strategy and fifty percent luck. Mm-hmm. But we knew that. We we love department stores actually. You know, we 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 know department stores very well. We we operate in many here. We understand how department stores operate. We're very um we love the fact that, that there's 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 a, a captured market there, there's footfall. As long as you choose your partners correctly that want to present your brand in the right manner and price it in a full price manner and be around your competitors and appropriate products. So we always said that we would, and we we stand behind that strategy. Of course, now that you know we we've, we've proved it successful, it was it was always the right thing that we wanted to do: is partner with amazing retailers that would understand our brand and have give us access to amazing customers. So that was we certainly would never have started by going direct and DTC. And we think. Even though we now plan in 2024 to open our own stores, to open Kurt Neiger stores in the US, probably between four and six of them. I was there last week. I'm there probably one week in every month. And we have a nice big team now in New York. We've just doubled the size of our showroom in New York as well. I'd love to show you around there at some point. Although I don't know, I don't know where you are, Kale. Okay, actually,
0: where. I'm in New York. I'll, okay. I'll head
1: over. I'll take a look. Oh yeah, lovely. Well, I'm there on the <laughs> I'm there on the 29th and 30th of this month, and so we we always we were always very comfortable with partnering with with other great retailers, basically.
0: So I want to ask maybe somewhat of a provocative question, but I don't think you'll take it this way. But I think in the UK the department store holds a place that it no longer does in the U S for the most part, or people, there have been a lot of headlines, let's say that have said that, do you think that's true? And you're an anomaly or do you think that department stores in the U S are doing just fine and that there are a few, you know, other businesses that, that we're seeing die out for, for other reasons, I guess.
1: Well, I, uh, my reflection on that by knowing intimately the Bloomingdale's team and the Dillard's team and the Norsem teams, the businesses are operated very differently to maybe some of the legacy department stores that no longer exist in the UK. Um, They're very intensively focused on their consumer. Uh, They're very intensively focused on service, on the full price proposition, the way in which the stores look. Um, So I think that there are still a lot of successful department stores in the UK. Some of them have disappeared. And that's probably just Darwinism.
0: But I would say that luxury department stores are doing better in the UK, though. Maybe you disagree with me than they are in the US. Uh, I would say like Harrods holds such a place that I feel like it. But like in the US, you have Nordstrom's and you have Bloomingdale's. But, you know, they're, it, it, it does not hold the same cultural sway it did 10, 15 years ago. That would be
1: your opinion. I'm not sure I'd agree with you. Okay. But I, 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 was, I, I wasn't in the U.S. 15 years ago to make <laughs>
0: <laughs> No, I, I want you to not agree with me on that. Uh, that's that's super helpful. Um, can you talk about the e-com strategy? So, you know, you said, I think you said 40 million yes. is, is what it does. So that's like 25% essentially of, of, of the overall U.S. sales. That's right. Yeah, that's right.
1: We, well... What can I say? We we budgeted this year for it to be half of what we're actually going to do. So we, we definitely have been very pleasantly surprised on the level of impact we can make digitally without having any stores. Um, we definitely have turned our dial to digital marketing in quite an intensive way to support our brand awareness growth because if if you said to me it's a different question but if you said to me what are your challenges i think the success of what we've seen so far is predominantly based on two things one our partnerships with our department store partners therefore we're we're presenting our products to the right consumers and in the right manner and i think they have afforded us huge credibility because we are a you know a brand that's been chosen by Dillard's or Nordstrom and Bloomingdale's. That's something that they're very proud of and adore. So I think that's a big element of the success. But the other point would be our creativity and our design. And we think and please have a you know have a look at what we do from a from a from a product perspective. It's highly distinctive. It's not. It's not a Me Too product, it's highly colourful, it's highly embellished, it's a joyful, very positive, very optimistic take on design. Sometimes we could say a little chaotic, a little crazy, a little mad. They're all attributes that are in the DNA of being British. Um, There's a lot of humour there. We don't take ourselves too seriously and you can see that in, in, the, in, in our product design. And the third thing I'd say is with very uh, great value. So handbags, $200 to $300, shoes at $100 to $200, um, with, a, with a supporting quality that is, is, is maybe a little better than we'd like to think than, than some products. So what we haven't got, Maybe to be to be, you know, what's the challenge for the, for Kurt Geiger? Is our brand awareness is still a requirement for massive investment there? And part of the reason why we would invest in our stores and our partners are very supportive and in fact urge us to open stores as opposed really? to really yeah. That's the one of the first questions we get is wow, we see your stores in London. They look so amazing. When do you think you'll open them in the USA? Because, you know, that brings a massive, that communicates the brand in the best manner. I'm still a big believer in stores. I'm, you know, hopefully I'll be proven right on that in the long term. Stores matter because it's the best vehicle for you to communicate your brand, your service, your ethics, your DNA. So we are urged by our partners to consider opening stores. And of course, in the right locations, we're going to be very fussy. i toured the whole of Southern California last week and, and, and Texas. Um, I'm in Miami in a week's time. I'm in New York again in three weeks time. We're studying the market carefully. We're meeting landlords. We're doing the numbers. We're thinking about our, how we present ourselves. So, um, to answer your question, which now I can't even remember what it was.
0: I, I think, I, yeah, it was just talking about how, what was it talking about? I mean, I, th- I think it was your, the e-com strategy. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I've, I've,
1: I've, I've rambled into stores. Um, <laughs> as as you can tell, I love stores. But I think the e-com um, I mean, we we put a big investment into into Southern California with a with a with a warehouse and a team of people and systems and operations four years ago. We've just doubled that in size two weeks ago. Thank God it went without any hiccups or dramas because those things can be a little yeah. bit of a drama. So we're now set up for. 100 million US dollars of sales, not 40 in terms of people, operations, systems, technology. And I mean, our, our product looks amazing digitally. You know, it, it really does stand out. I think if you said to me, what is the, what is the one differentiator for Kurt Geiger is what we design. And I know that's all of our jobs. You know, we, 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 we sell things um and we we all of us have to think about you know our customer and how you're differentiating against other people and we 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 do stand out we are different and we like that we love the fact that you can um we're not for everybody but we're for we're for if you love us, you really do fall in love with us.
0: So you mentioned, you know, the big, the big hurdle in the US has been uh, sort of brand recognition in that, you know, it, it's good when you're in a department store, but it also isn't necessarily, you know, it, it's a different thing than going to a website on its own and buying things. Can you talk about what the, the marketing strategy has been? You said you've invested a lot in digital marketing. How have you been approaching this so that you have a much more branded presence in North America?
1: We've been testing a lot of things, not all of them successful. And you, c- you can waste a lot of money in digital marketing. And I suppose 17 years in private equity, you know, the, the company is a, um, a business that's been in private equity, successful in private equity for a long time. We study and analyze things very deeply. Um, if you don't do that in private equity, you get caught out and I'd probably be in the garden um, (laughs) mowing the lawn. So I think that we're studious, we're thoughtful, there's a deep, deep amount of analysis around what's successful and what isn't, and we move fast. I suppose that's the other thing that private equity teaches you. you. You react quick. You study things, you make decisions and you move. And we've, you know, we have found some really good successful ways to target and reach what we believe to be our customer digitally. And that's, you know, that has been successful. The other point I would say is we, almost two years ago, we put an investment into a team of people in Los Angeles to talk about our brand, to... Uh, the critical social network in Hollywood, and the, the whether it be celebrities or very powerful influencers digitally, and we put a lot of effort into that. And you can see, um, we've seen big success there. Even again with relatively low brand awareness in general, we've seen some real success there. So you know, we 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 study, we do a lot, we move quick. And um, we have been spending quite a bit of money, but uh, as a relationship to our digital sales, our digital channel is highly profitable. I don't want you to, or I don't want to give the opinion that all of all, this, all of this forty million dollars we're giving away in marketing—that's it's um, that's a, <laughs> a long way I'm, from the truth. I hope. Yeah,
0: I'm glad to hear it. You, I wanted to ask about uh, private equity because a, it's a big umbrella that you know fits a lot of different business models but sometimes you hear of companies that are owned by private equity and they they doesn't go as well as one would think what do you think you know it sounds like you guys you in you like this this uh situation you're in what makes it specifically work for kurt geiger and how what is the interplay ben and how 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 has it changed since before 15 years ago
1: oh that's a big question um what would I say to that? I didn't go to university. So <laughs> so private equity for me has been my life university. You know, I, I, I love success. I'm very driven and um, motivated for the company and myself and my board. And so I, I'm not short of motivation and energy and neither is the company. It was. It's lovely to be surrounded by people smarter than you that can help you with that energy and put it in the right place. I love the purity of private equity. I love the fact of success or failure, and there's nothing really in between. I was never. I was never ever scared of ownership, even from mm-hmm. a, from a, being a child. I was always happy to be the boss. Frankly. Frankly, I always wanted to be the boss. I always wanted to be. I was always happy to take the pressure. Not as if I consciously feel much pressure, but I've I've always wanted to be in a position of driving the car. I'm not a good passenger, and I think private equity gives you that because it's it's on it's on your watch, um, and it, it it means there's, you know, you look in the mirror. You don't look out the window ever. It's all of your fault if things go wrong. And it's all of your success if things go right with you. You know, there's a company, I mean, not myself, the team, and i love the purity and simplicity of that there's no room for politics or excuses
0: got it got it that's that's a really fascinating answer um i wanted to go into you mentioned a little bit of this but let's go a little deeper the, the stores that you're planning on opening i think you said between 4 and 6 next year you mentioned really you know la texas new york what are you seeing as the store strategy being Will they be carbon copies of the London stores, for example? Will they exist differently? How how are you seeing them manifest here?
1: Well, we will open a new store, flagship store in London in September, and that that will be on Oxford Street, our largest ever store, three and a half thousand square feet, and that is really the 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 the, the evolving of our concept it will be the will be the template for the US. So that's a, big, that's a big move for us. That's our biggest store we've ever opened. It will be our largest in, in sales and hopefully profitability. But more importantly, the concept we've created, which is an evolution of where we are now, um, we've put a lot of effort in and our stores are visually very impactful, like our product, frankly. Um, they, they need to give you a real incredible wow moment the minute you see them and the minute you walk past them. So that, that's, that's always been in our DNA. We, as I said to you earlier, we are very successful where the sky is blue. I know it sounds a little bit sort of a fluffy thing to say, um, but we are, we're very good at colour. We're very good at embellishment and we're loved by a very diverse uh, population of consumers uh, globally. And Therefore, strategically in location terms, we will be the first couple of years focused predominantly in the southern states of the USA, be it that New York, New York probably will be year one, second half of year one, in truth. Um, But we uh, success with our digital business and our our partner business is uh, Southern California, um texas is hugely successful for us um obviously florida is very successful so we and, and we we know those areas and department stores and malls incredibly well so it wouldn't it was i don't want to be specific on location exactly yet because because that you know if i get that wrong it would be embarrassing but it's it's and and i think again on America's tipped itself on its side a little bit, hasn't it? People have moved south from the pandemic or for whatever, many reasons. Um, so we've seen in the data, you know, a, a, a population change. That's the amazing thing about America. You guys, you guys move and travel much easier maybe than other countries because, you, you know, you chase the opportunities, the sort of grapes of wrath.
0: Hopefully it's it's happier than the grapes are. But you know, <laughs> <laughs> there's an
1: there's an Orange County hint there on a the store location.
0: <laughs> oh, okay, I like that. Yeah, I, that makes sense. I I would absolutely see you guys in Orange County. That makes a lot of sense. Um, we're almost running out of time. I have a couple more questions. One, this first one's a little bit broader, but it's just because you've you've been CEO for you know about two decades now. Yes. How has the role changed or what have you noticed o- over these two decades like what are you thinking about now that's not what you were thinking about before and vice versa just talk about that transformation as a brand leader
1: well my knees and ankles ache a little more but <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what I'm I'm not so sure it's that different I mean maybe that's not the right answer but you know we 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 create things we have to be immensely creative we have to be very Visionary for our brand. We have to put no one, no one can love our brand more than us. And we, 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 we spend genuinely hours and hours and hours talking about the colors on one or two sneakers or a handbag. It's a very British thing. We, we are, you know, the the right side of our brains are strong and we put a lot, lot of effort into creating distinctive product, and I don't think that really has changed. I think, obviously, channels have changed, digital is, is important, um, but frankly, it, I don't think it's changed a great deal, to be honest. I think the one thing I would say that has changed is our ambition and our um, vision about what the company could be. You know, we we when we were when we were two or three million EBITDA, I remember it like it was yesterday. And we wrote a, I wrote a business plan. I've still got it under my desk. It's 2002. And two, two million EBITDA, 50 million of sales. And we wrote a business plan that said one day we'll get to 20. And the, the journey of the company went two, three, five, eight, ten, twelve, fifteen, eighteen, twenty, twenty three. 10, 12, 15, 18, 20, 23. That was a very good year. 25, 28, 30, 32, 35, 38, 41, 6. Okay. I'm guessing that was 2020. Guess the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. Guess the yeah. pandemic. So we and so we, you know, that was a difficult time, and we you know out of that, frankly, the company is in better shape, to be honest. We went six, 20, 30, and this year will be forty-two. Wow so it's so, amazing that you
0: know all those numbers by heart not looking at any notes no i know i
1: i, I could I, I can do that in my sleep that's probably <laughs>
0: right, that's well,
1: private equity for you i
0: think yeah that's probably yeah, i guess that that's that's one of the perks of private equity but that leads perfect to this last question which is you know we've talked a lot about north america we've talked a lot about these stores you hinted at product expansion or you know different products beyond the handbags and and the shoes what like what are your big goals for the next let's say 12 to 24 months is it pretty much head first north america these stores are there other things we haven't mentioned yeah there are
1: um we we open our first european showroom in november so we're taking a hugely wonderful beautiful space in milan and actually today we we have 300 um points of sale in europe so we, we have a big focus on developing our brand and our um, business in Europe. So that's a that's a big move. We've just completed, as I said, an expansion of the team and the showroom in North America to set ourselves up there for the next three years. We've done the distribution center expansion two weeks ago. So Europe actually is a big focus. We're already in all the markets and we're already with all the great partners but there's a great opportunity to grow there we have a big opportunity in in with men I don't know if anyone's realized certainly we didn't that men are half the population of the world and we've not been very good at um, men's shoes and men's accessories and uh, talking to men so that's so we've just invested in a whole new team in creative and design and merchandising for for our men's consumer. So that's a big focus for us. Our first stores actually in North America um, will be in Mexico this year. We opened three stores with our partner El Palacio in Mexico. We are beyond successful in Mexico. You know, it's really amazing, amazing business. We can't keep in stock. Frankly, we can't keep in stock. So Mexico is a really super exciting opportunity for us. And therefore, we'll move further south into South America, into 24 and 25. So, we, you know, we, uh, we got a long to-do list, Kale.
0: Yeah, that is a lot of things to do. The Mexico thing, for another time, I want to talk more yeah, about, yeah. about North, Central, and South America, because that's uh, something... Wonderful.
1: And, you know, I've, I've just come back from Mexico City. What an incredible, incredible place... Um, naively as a European, I'm like, oh my God, is it scary? What's going to happen? Am I going to get sort of kidnapped? And I mean, it's the most beautiful city I've ever been to. It's a mixture of Los Angeles and Paris. I mean, it's beautiful. So the more excuses and reasons why I've got to go back to Mexico City, (laughs) the the
0: better. Sounds great. I'll meet you there. Well, Neil, this has been such a great conversation. Thank you for joining. Thank you. No,
1: really wonderful. And uh, thank you for your support, Kevin.
0: And thank you for listening to this episode of the Modern Retail Podcast, a show by Digiday. If you haven't already, please do subscribe and head to Apple Podcasts to leave us a review and a rating. See you next week.